Good evening, everybody. Have a couple of announcements before Lance comes up and leads us in our last New, New Testament session. Um, our last session two week is March 13th. Okay? And I want you to play, put a placeholder on that date. Tammy and Sarah are working to make that an exciting night of celebration for the completion of this two-semester time. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know about that in the next couple of weeks as those details get clarified. Now, you might be asking, well, what are we going to do between tonight and March 13th? And that's a good question. And to answer that question, I want to show a one-minute video to introduce what we're going to be covering. doubt there's anybody in this room that thinks they're not supposed to be involved in some kind of evangelism. And yet if I were to ask you what is the common emotion you feel when that subject comes up, you would probably say shame, guilt, pressure, fear. But do you know what the number one emotion that the New Testament couples with evangelism is? The number one emotion that the New Testament couples with evangelism is joy. And yet I find so few people, when the subject of evangelism comes up, sense that joy. And the answer that we ought to be asking ourselves is why is there such a disconnect between what God intends for us to feel and what we actually feel? And I think... It's built on the fact that there are three lies that we all embrace about evangelism that bind us up and prevent us from experiencing the joy God wants to give us. And there are three truths that set us free into the joy that God wants us to, enjoy, to have in that, process, in that evangelism interaction. We will cover those three lies, and three truths over the next three weeks in this time together in what we call Engage. Now, I've gone through this material most recently with a group of women that were the, from the women's leadership team here at the church, and Betsy Blair was involved in that. Betsy, 
should these people be interested in what we're getting ready to cover? Yes, but not just because he asked me about saying anything, but because I will tell you it was well laid out, and I was probably the one that felt felt like I've never really led anybody to the Lord and probably had a lot of fear and, and felt inadequate, ill-equipped. But my takeaway from that class, which really set me free, was the very first lesson, I think it, it was, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. And that one statement freed me up because we think we have to do it, but we're forgetting who's in charge. And so I loved the class, and I, I wish I'd reviewed my notes before Bob asked me to do that because I could say more. But it was it's well worth your time, and I think you'll, you'll be encouraged, and I think that is the end result of why we came to this class. Yeah, so we're about a New City Academy again. What are we trying to do? Equipping disciple makers. And disciple makers are those people that are involved in the harvest. It's what we need all of us to be involved in. If New City Academy is going to be what we hope it to be. But what you need to find out is that doesn't mean we're trying to turn you into Billy Grahams or used car salesmen or those people that are closing deals for God. You will, I believe, be free to feel more that God will use you exactly as you are in the role that he exactly assigns you because of who you uniquely are in the process. So you have on your table a set of notes. If you Please pick those up because before next week, I'd like for you to answer the three questions at the top of the page. When you think about evangelism, what thoughts and emotions come to your mind? What is the predominant emotion the New Testament associates with evangelism? I told you that, but if you can find an answer to that, you can come with that. And then next week, we're going to look at Matthew 9, 36 through 39. And if you would think about what insights Matthew gives about Jesus in these verses. Okay? Any questions? All right, Lance, would you come up and lead us? And I'll... Testing one, two. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. That's great. Technology is great when it works. Let's go ahead and we'll open a word of prayer. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here tonight uh, together, brothers and sisters, and to be able to learn uh, more about you, what you've done, what are you doing, what you will do, and be able to rest in that with the confidence of who we are because of all these things that you were doing. Lord, help us just to really focus on you, Jesus. And uh, you are the central figure in this whole storyline. And we get to have so much because of what you did for us. So I just pray that through tonight, help me to say what needs to be said and for us to hear what needs to be heard and, and we take nuggets from us that change our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is the last one in our books. 
And just to go through this, Jesus is the king. Uh, the king returns in victory, displaying his glory. And we'll talk about empty casket, the victories, and then a little portion about what is it like to face death. And again, this theme, this God's one redemptive story with Christ as a central character. If you were to bump into someone and they had really no Bible knowledge whatsoever, and you started off telling them this big story, um, would they maybe look at you like, this sounds like a fairy tale? And when you think about it, you know, once upon a time, this, this couple lived in this paradise of a garden, and all of a sudden, this villain shows up and introduces evil and just ruins everything. And then everyone's in slavery, and for a time being, you're waiting for the hero to show up and to rescue them and to restore goodness over evil. And when that happens, we all get to live happily ever after. Isn't that about it in some ways? But I'm sorry? Yes. And so you wonder about these fairy tales. They are good stories, good storylines, and wonder if, if somehow they borrowed this from the original story, the best story of all. And knowing that it's not just a fairy tale, but it's how we live in it as truth. On your table, there's a plot line sheet on the back of it, just as a group project. See if you can just go through these and write these down really quick. Popcorn them around the table and fill in all these blanks on the back of the sheet. Somebody be a scribe and write them down. All right. Very good. I mean, some of this you had to go back to last year, the Old Testament book. This is, a, this is a completion of a, like a two-year project for both books. So rattle these off. Just uh, what's C? Next one. Wow. So all of those are the major periods through this human history and this redemptive story. On your table, flip that page over to the plot line. Very common thing. I should get someone else over there to teach you how to do it. But what I want you to do is from those periods, um, there's a bunch of events that happen in it. But I'm really curious if you would, on your paper, look at the, it's a little different. Um, on your paper, there's the problem, all right? And then the line that goes up to the climax, what is the turning point of the storyline? And then this line that goes down to the resolution of the problem. So there's no right or wrong, no, no grades, but I do want you to discuss what do you think in what some of those major events within those periods could you put on this chart. So go ahead and look at events, not the periods, but the events in the periods. 
What's the climax? All right, let's go ahead and pull it together and just curious on some of the things you came up with. Um, let's just begin at the beginning of, uh, you know, this thing. I know this is kind of a big story just to cram into this template, but it's just really meant to spark some, some banter and how to put some of these events in, in place. What are some of the events or wording that you came up with the problem? Somebody throw some out. Sin is a problem. The fall. Separation from God. Curse. Any others that? Death. Okay. Uh, kind of sums up that, that beginning section there of, of the big problem of the fall. Introducing sin and the consequences, mostly the separation relationally with God. What did you end up with the climax, the turning point? I'm curious. Where did you go in your thinking of the turning point? Death and resurrection? Any others? Mm-hmm. Okay. Big event. Yeah. Pentecost. Holy Spirit. Yeah. Again, I'm not. I'm not going to say these right or wrong. Um, but there is some, uh, like a general idea that one of the biggest ideas is this this idea of the covers of the two books, casket empty. And just to emphasize that a lot of times when you're in conversations with other people and you hear it, and they talk about the cross, and the cross is this, and how special, how significant it is. But a lot of times the the use of the empty tomb, the resurrection, doesn't get maybe as much airtime is how we talk about the cross. Yeah, it's pretty important. So it almost to say is when you talk, maybe you've been thinking about, you know, about the cross and the resurrection in the same breath, that they go hand in hand. There's just something about that in three days, all this happened, okay? And the significance of that is that when you think about the cross, this this sacrifice uh, pays our debt, the ransom, the atonement, and that's technically what the definition of to redeem, to buy back, to buy from. But the significance of the tomb and what happened in this bodily, physical resurrection and what it shows to come is the other side of the coin in that we are not just bought from, but then we are placed into this relationship with a a Christ who rose from the dead for all of eternity. And so there's the mercy is not, not getting what I do deserve. And then there's this grace 
of getting what I don't deserve, and they go hand in hand. I call it two sides of the same coin. And a lot of times when a coin spins, you know, you really only can talk about one side at a time, but there's another side that you can't look at. It's impossible to look at the other side of the coin, but they both exist. And so only to try to, when you think about and talk about, they're inseparable as being this climax to this whole human story and this relationship with God. Let's move on. So this whole part of Revelation um, that we're going to be on talking about is really just kind of the, the ending of this very long story where the king comes and finally, fully, completely uh, is, has victory over these things. Evil, Satan, sin, death. And it parallels the beginning. Somewhere in heaven, evil enters the picture. Satan wants to be who he wants to be. He gets cast. Then he influences Adam and Eve. Temptations, they fall. And then death. And somehow he's got to clean up our mess in order to restore and to put back fully what he designed in the first place. So it's a big mess. Now, this chart, I'm not going through this chart, but only to say is that talking about end times, I don't know about you, but I used to collect books and charts and all kinds of visuals trying to figure out, you know, how to put this stuff in order and what it is and how to interpret it. Uh, I grew up in the Free Church, and in eighth grade, we had a pastor's uh, Bible instruction class. And 16 of us eighth graders met for 26 weeks with our senior pastor, and we went through Bible and theology. And one of, the, one of the exams at the end was, here's a blank piece of paper, now chart the end times, and had to, had to know that. And in my 20s, I went to seminary, had all these classes, and go, man, I, I got this thing figured out. I got a good handle on it. A couple of decades later, going, eh, I don't know. I'm more clear in the, in the essentials. That's very clear for me. But some of the other things that are not as essential, I'm okay to be a little fuzzy on it. And so I've learned that I don't need, I don't have to have the answers to all these questions. But I do know the one who does have the answer. And the most important ones. Where I'm going to end up with him for all of eternity is the most important one how we get there and what it's going to look like and sound like and be like, okay, we all got some ideas of what that might be. So this is lesser really about the, the order of events or how we interpret the events. It's really more of getting this overall theme of what this relationship with God is really all about. And I want to, I want to move past the judgment. This is a theme. He has got judgment and wrath and destruction, and he's got to get all that out of the way for him then to create this and restore all the things that he wants to do. So it's like first things first, and we get to the other things. And so in these last couple of chapters, there's a lot of this judgment and wrath and destruction that goes on 
with all these individuals and groups and kings. And I just want to go through that starting at, in Revelation 15, it really just emphasizes that these seven golden bowls full of wrath of God are going to get delivered. And then throughout all of Revelation 16, kind of goes through these, these plagues. Um, these are nasty, painful sores. Everything in the sea dies. The waters become blood. The sun was allowed to scorch the uh, people with fire. Um, kingdoms were plunged in darkness. Um, the waters dried up as they prepared for battle, and the great city was split in three parts. The nation fell. Great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell, on heaven, uh, fell from heaven on people. Just, again, in general, this, this judgment and wrath and destruction has got to happen. Revelation 17 talks about the great prostitute and beast. Again, I just wanted to emphasize, I will show you judgment on the great prostitute. And they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. Throughout 18, the fall of Babylon. This fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. God has given judgment for you against her. So will Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down. We're going to skip 19 to 20. And throughout Revelation 20, it talks about that Satan is going to be bound in this pit for a thousand years. He's going to be let go. But then, then he's going to be able to gather up for this big battle. But again, fire came down from heaven and consumed them. This army and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. So again, you get this finality of finally taking care of Satan and other people that were with him. Um, this happens. But I want to go back to 19 from the judgment, the wrath, the destructions to now, what does he want to do with that in the restoration process? And what does that mean for you and I? And how do we take these events and apply them to who we are and how do we relate to God today, tomorrow, and the next? And so I want you to look at Revelation 19 and skim through that and, and just kind of read it. And then among your group, see what you can come up with as in some descriptions of this marriage supper of the Lamb. And the marriage of this bride and this groom, what are some descriptions, what are some ideas you've got from reading 1 through 19? And discuss that on your table, and we'll pull you back in a little bit. The first question is about thinking about the wedding in this culture. What are some significant things and why, why are those things in weddings? 
What do they symbolize and represent? The first question. Let's come back together. As you can tell, I really want you to kind of get more in a, in a wedding frame of mind, all right? Um, the bride, the groom, the marriage supper, and what are some of the things, what are some of the elements that you pulled together from your table? What are some pieces of this wedding and reception? Um, in general, the, in, in our culture, in our culture. What are some things that come to mind in our culture? Okay. Yep. The beautiful dress. What about our culture? What are some things that pop in your mind that are significant to you? It's really good. Right. What are the other components? Yeah, uh, our family thing most of our vows exchange and witness. Scriptures read with music, with rings, flowers, and the bride is getting all gussied up during the wedding. <laughs> yeah. Any others to add? Music, dancing. Okay, a gathering. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of prep. A lot of money along the way. <laughs> yeah, this table over here. Ooh, all right. Got to be invited. Yeah. Guests come and you're blessed. Yeah. So you, you've already mentioned how a lot of these customs and you're tying it into this piece. Is there a microphone to read this out loud for us to hear? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. If you were to contrast, you know, in our culture, um, what is the celebration? What are they celebrating? Yeah. Good. Mm -hmm. 
Who's the focal point? Who are they? Yeah. Not quite the bride all the time, is it? If we were to just continue on, talking about the bride, can someone read these? Who's the bride? Yeah. And to be dressed in this clothing of uh, fine linen, bright and pure, pure like righteousness, holiness. Sometimes I think we forget who we are. Not just our position, but who we really are. And what God, what Jesus has done to prepare us and give us and facilitate for us, all of it. Um, I think we forget the beauty sometimes when we look in the mirror of who we are as God sees us. You've noticed some of these pictures up here. Um, my daughter, Marissa, painted them for a senior project her last semester. And this, she painted them like eight, nine months before her own wedding. And so obviously when women get engaged, they start looking at the bride books because they got to say yes to the dress somewhere along the way, right? But I think as you, in her papers and stuff like that, she noticed that in these beautiful dresses, that some of these dresses were a little more sexy, a little bit more trashy. And it really took away from, I guess, the real original point of what the dress really means and who was wearing it. And so she set on a project to look at dresses from 1950s and parallel that to, and she put the tabernacle furniture within these pictures. And she wrote about just how to clothe herself with righteousness, with fine linen, bright and pure, this holiness, this pureness. And so when you look at these going, wow, but this is who we are. And I think we can, we forget that imagery, that symbolism of the reality of who we are. I'm just curious, does anyone still have their wedding dress? Like in the closet somewhere? Yeah? That's cool. Got <laughs> But only to say is, in, this, in the wrap this part, this part up, is that no unclean thing can enter this, this 
presence of God and the things of God. Everything has to be pure. And he is the one that made the way, he facilitated, and he escorts us into this eternity with him. Jesus is the one who does this all for us. We're just the, we just get to enjoy what he gives us. The focal point that we've been talking about is a celebration of what, who Jesus is and what he does. The last part of 19 talks about the writer. But even though it's not connected officially, but somewhere along the way, if there's a groom, how would you describe a, a groom? What are some of the descriptions in this about this, this writer? What about his titles? The Word of God and the King of King and Lord of Lords. Now, some people have tried to depict this, what this would may look like. This would be pretty spectacular. Can you remember the last time he rode something into a city? Yeah. Is that a little different picture? How would you use words to describe that riding on a donkey to this, this event here? Upgrade. Upgrade. <laughs> All right, 2.0. Humble and... It's hard to put words to it. Yeah, and when the, the scene pulls out, you just see the magnitude of how big and how large. I don't think we'll ever see anything like We've never seen anything like this. And when you think of the word awe, there's going to be a lot of things we're just going to be in awe of and speechless and, like, dumbfounded that no special effect of any movie is ever going to come close to this. And this is going to be reality. And the other thing to think about is that this bride, you and I, and everything that we get is only a reflection of the radiance of the one who gives it. We're only reflecting of Jesus. And the bigger Jesus is and the mightier, this is how much more pure and lovely we get to be because we're radiating and reflecting him. I think sometimes we think very small. And it's hard for our little human minds to really think how amazing this really is. And the bigger the God, then we get to reflect that and enjoy that along the way. Just something to think about. Well, let's go on a little bit to some other big events that happened. Um, need someone to read this? And again, I think it's great to be able to hear it out loud. Yeah, go ahead. 
place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Mm. Without payment. We're not paying for any of it. It's already been paid. But of this whole chapter, there's obviously a lot of details about what this thing is. But without going into time, which you can research later and dwell on, but again, going back to Jesus and the relationship, this is really the highlight. Being given this, this city and this new heaven and new earth, um, how wonderful all these things will be, but the real price, in a sense, we will be, God will, is with man, and he will dwell with them. For all after the fall, the struggle of how do we have a relationship with God? And after the fall, through the tent, the tabernacle, the temple, um, then finally the veil is torn, but even that part that we get to relate with God is still limited in a lot of ways. It's still not easy to relate to this invisible God. And we're still learning, like, how to do that. But I have a feeling that when we get to this part, this part of the storyline, we're going to have this full access to God face-to-face in however in mystery way he, he pulls it off. Remember in Moses when he's on the mountain? And God says, you know, you've got to cover yourself. I'm going to pass by these rocks. You know, it was just too much and it would kill him. We've always, we still have this distance in a lot of ways, even with God, of trying to relate in our humanness. But somewhere along the way, I think this is going to be able to happen and be realized in the fullest. And, and to go back to in, in Genesis chapter 3, this one little verse um, just plays in my head all the time of what we really gave up, is that when they sinned and they hid, then they said they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the, in the cool of the day. Now, if you're going to hide, you probably hide from somebody usually don't hide from something that's invisible, right? So I wonder if in a way that some way God manifested himself and walked with them and fellowship with them and talked with them, maybe on a daily basis, that was life all the time. I think that's what we really gave up. And so this whole redemptive process is is to get all this stuff out of the way and to reestablish really this, to dwell with each other, the fellowship, the oneness of why he designed us in the first place. Revelation 21. Can someone read this one? 
Anybody? Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now, there's a lot more in that chapter. Can somebody spit out some of the details of what I didn't have up there about this city? Things like what? How big is it? And what, how is it described? Again, it's going to be quite a sight, however, whatever it means and whatever he does with it. But I wonder if all those things are still going to pale to this. That if there's no need for light, and what the presence, just the being of God, and for all that to happen, he's still going to be this focal point of the honest. Even though all those other things are incredible, but he's even more than those things of what really awe is all about. So again, I just want to emphasize that. I know a lot of times you talk about all those other details, but again, the most important, again, he's the focal point. Let's go to... 22. Can someone read that? The angel, me, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I warn every Stop there for a minute. Okay. Um, again, the tree of life, um, the water. Who remembers, like, in the garden? Um, we had the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We have the tree of life. Remember when they got kicked out and God set some guards there? What was the purpose of the guards of being kicked out of the garden? What would be one reason? Keep away from what? Because if they would, in the sinful state, forever. It was an act of compassion to kick us out and to keep us out. And then we had now this access, healing and life. Um, again, just incredible. What a gift. But then he changes his little tune here. Go ahead and read this part. The warning. Everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city. 
which are described in this book. What do you do with that? <laughs> wow, that's pretty serious. But I sense that it's more than, you know, you, you photocopy some pages and you leave a page out. It's a little different than that, right? What would have to be the attitude, the mindset, if you're going to take away or fill in? What's that kind of a mindset and attitude? What? Equal to. Yeah. Where have you heard that attitude before? Yeah. I want to be God. I want to be like God. How arrogant that is. Yeah. Again, I don't know how this all works out, but just again, just to be able to see that how important it is, and there's this major warning for this kind of arrogance to be like God that I can pick and choose and just as good. All right. Real simple. A lot of times people talk about important questions of life that we think about, we ask, where did I come from? Uh, why am I here? But the last one is, what happens after death? My destiny. And I know a lot of believers in being in ministry for several decades now, a lot of believers, when they end up facing it, they start to really wonder about what's going to happen to me, really. They can give you the Sunday school answer. They can give it all. But there's a little bit of, a little bit of nervousness, anxiety. What is really going to happen? Is this really all true? Is it going to happen the way it said it is? You know, people in their 20s, they call them invincible. You know, death is like way out there. 20 to 40, you're in the second quarter of the game. 40 to 60 plus, you're in the third quarter of the game. Whenever you decide you're thinking you're in the fourth quarter of the game, it gets a little closer. And then, you know, if you're in overtime, it's getting even closer. And the closer it really is to, like, it's going to happen, how much did, do we believe in our belief system? How much can we rest versus the anxiety of really believing that truth? To keep going on in, in your discussion, in your groups, I want you to talk about what have you heard when you bump into people? different kinds of fears, different kind of thoughts. What do they struggle with? But then how is it supposed to help? Because we don't see it. So just talk them in your groups about what are some of the typical fears or ideas about why they're afraid. Yeah. All right, let's... Come together. Some good discussion.
So what are some, what are some things you, you've talked about at your table about what are people concerned about? What are people fearing? Level anxiety? What are some answers? Oh, the process of death, even just to get to death. Okay, yeah. What are there some things that people say? And <laughs> let's ask what she got to say. Very good. Let's ask him. What are some answers you come up with? Oh, okay. Yeah. What's going to be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what am I going to miss out here? Yeah. 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 But it's very real. Yeah. What are some other thoughts? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's very true. I mean, he, we, get, we get some information, but we don't get all of it. So it can be a little fuzzy in some ways about what's actually going to happen. Yeah. Any other thoughts in your tables? No doubt. Well, in my youth, you know, I had an affair at 20. Um, it was mad. It was, like, it was in my 20s. I took married a wife at 34 straight. Um, I would go to sleep in her bed and drink one or three gins a week before I would um, call you. And uh, the, before, the day before I was married, uh, the printer came in the shop and told me his father was having a stroke. So you you can hear a lot of the theme is it's it's this concern for our loved ones or missing out and and not being able to participate in if you've got kids or grandkids along the way of their life or the burden for a spouse or family members, yeah. And that's a very real. I mean, we think about it, it it's, it's a reality. But the other typical one is just not really knowing what you're going to walk into and what it's going to be like. But I think that's one of the purposes 
of why we get some information about this end times. Versus if, if we had a book and this last chapter, in a sense, wasn't there, that'd be a really different place to be if we didn't have any of that, the book of Revelation. Wow. Talking about having it fuzzy. So we do get a lot of information. Yeah. So what other thoughts did you have about this other question? How does it help? Any other kind of answers you come up with? How can it help? Are you really going to be able to do anything about any of this? <laughs> you're, just, you're there for the ride. <laughs> this has all been provided and facilitated, and it, it, Jesus has been doing the whole thing. It, what makes you think he's going to, like, stop not doing what needs to be done? We're there for the ride. <laughs> so just in the, in the home stretch here is, is to be thinking about these last words of Revelation is what are some of the mindsets and attitudes about how we live today and tomorrow in light of what is to come? Because none of, our, none of us knows when that's going to happen. None of us are guaranteed into old age. Um, we pray for it, we wish it, we desire it, but... That doesn't make any guarantees whatsoever. And that's really in someone else's hands. But should that create burden, anxieties, or could it produce some anticipation, even excitement? If some of this is the grandeur, the, the majesty of who he is and what he's doing, when they, you think about what they say at funerals, you know, they're in a better place. How true is that? And didn't they get to the party first? Rachel and I have been here, you know, 25 years in this church. We've been to a few funerals uh, along the way. And some of them, I am blown away by the amount of celebration of the celebration of life and what people are saying and, and what they're doing. And it's like, wow, this is incredible. Because I've been to some gravesite services where no one's a believer. Ooh, it is dark, very dark. So only to say is this, these, this book was written for an encouragement because we have a hope of where this is going to go, whether it's tomorrow or decades from now. But it is something to think about, that it's not a fairy tale, and it's way more than happily ever after. Happiness is about happenings, it's events, things, stuff. But joy is a much deeper, richer experience, usually found in relationship. And through this whole thing, it's really about this theme of relationship and to be with God. And then we were not with God. And how do we come back to being with God again? That's the joy. And so to praise him and to thank him and to express all that, he doesn't need any of this. He was fine before we arrived, and he'd be fine if we weren't here. 
It's all for our good if we do that. It becomes more fulfilling and satisfying to be this grateful and thankful for all the things that he is doing and will do. If you've got kids, and do you remember what brings the greatest joy? When you facilitate something, and they enjoy it, but then they come back and thank you sincerely? Didn't that melt your heart? So the more that we enjoy him and the things that he gives us, that's his joy and our joy. That's why he does this all of it. So just to bring it into the home stretch, these last verses. Jeff, can you read this? I just love your voice. <laughs> Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty Come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus will be with us all. Amen. So if Jesus is saying, Surely I, I, I'm coming soon. I will come back just as I left. I will gather you together. We will be together. That's the promise, the covenant. Amen, agreement. And then John, how does he say it? Come, Lord Jesus, exclamation point. Let's get this thing going. See the anticipation, the excitement, the desire for this? Yeah, I know. We've got kids and grandkids and lives and stuff like that, but... But there should be an element somewhere in there about this excitement because of who he is. And if he's a good God and all this is true, oh, my gosh, this is going to be just incredible. So give it, how does this give us hope for the future? So that is the last puzzle piece when you think about it. So one last question really quick is just to sum this whole up. After two years... Old Testament, New Testament. What is one nugget? Each of you think about one nugget that you can share on your table that it's been meaningful, significant, helped you. Wide open question. Okay? So share that in just a couple minutes. I'll close in prayer. We're done. Some good discussion. Well, I hope everyone has different things that you can think of that this study has been helpful with you, for you. Um, also, I hope that some of the discussion time has is, is helped just to get to know some other people at your table, and that facilitated that. So let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again so much for your presence here, your power. Um, none of this happens without you. And so because of that, we just, again, turn around and just with hearts of gratitude, just say thank you. That who you are and how you have loved us and facilitated all of this, and how you pursued us and want so, so much for us to be part of you. And Lord, I thank you for this study and this big picture, again, which focuses on you. So you, Lord, get the honor and glory, all of it. 
We pray this in your son's most precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, folks.